are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The Tunguska event was an enormously powerful explosion that occurred near the Tunguska River in what is now Krai, Russia. On June 30th, 1908, at approximately 7.14 in the morning, local time. The explosion is believed to have been caused by the airburst of a large meteoroid or comet fragment at an altitude of 5 to 10 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Different studies have yielded varying estimates of the object's size, with general agreement that it was a few tens of meters across. Science has been studying this problem and trying to find a solution to this. The number of scholarly publications on the problem of the Tugunska explosion since 1908 may be estimated at about a thousand scientific papers. Although the meteoroid or comet burst in the air rather than hitting the surface, this event is still referred to as an impact. Estimates of the energy of the blast range from 5 to as high as 30 megatons of TNT with roughly 10 to 15 megatons of TNT as the most likely candidate, roughly equal to the United States Castle Bravo thermonuclear bomb test on March 1st, 1954, which was about a thousand times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan 
and about one-third the power of the Tsar Bomba, the largest nuclear weapon ever detonated. The explosion knocked over an estimated 80 million trees, covering an astounding 2,100 square kilometers. It is estimated that the shock wave from the blast would have measured 5.0 on the Richter scale. An explosion of this magnitude is capable of destroying a large metropolitan area. This possibility has helped to spark discussion of asteroid deflection strategies. The Tunguska event is the largest recorded impact event over land in Earth's recent history. Impacts of similar size over remote ocean areas would most likely have gone unnoticed before the advent of global satellite monitoring beginning in the 1960s and 1970s. At around 7.14 a.m. local time, Evinx natives and Russian settlers in the hills northwest of Lake Bakal observed a column of bluish light, nearly as bright as the sun, moving across the sky. About 10 minutes later, there was a flash and a sound similar to artillery fire. Eyewitnesses closer to the explosion, reported the sound source moving east to north. The sounds were accompanied by a shock wave that knocked people off their feet and broke windows hundreds of kilometers away. The majority of witnesses reported only the sounds and the tremors and not the sighting of the explosion. Eyewitness accounts differ as to the sequence of events and their overall duration. The explosion, registered on seismic stations across Eurasia, in some places the shock wave would have been equivalent to an earthquake of 5.0 on today's Richter scale. It also produced fluctuations 
in atmospheric pressure strong enough to be detected in Great Britain. Over the next few days, night skies in Asia and Europe were aglow. It has been theorized that this was due to light passing through high-altitude ice particles formed at extremely low temperatures, a phenomenon that occurred again when the space shuttle re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. In the United States, the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory and the Mount Wilson Observatory observed a decrease in atmospheric transparency that lasted for several months from suspended dust. There has been many eyewitness reports. Some of them have been written down. Testimony of S. Semenov as recorded by Leonid Kulik's expedition in the year 1930. This is testimony taken at that time. At breakfast time, I was sitting by the house at Vanavara Trading Post, which is 65 kilometers or 40 miles south of the explosion. I was facing north. I suddenly saw that directly to the north, over Ankul's Tunguska Road, the sky split in two, and fire appeared high and wide over the forest. It was approximately 50 degrees in the air. The split in the sky grew larger, and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At that moment, I became so hot that I couldn't bear it, as if my shirt was on fire from the northern side where the fire was, came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but the sky shut closed and a strong thump sounded and I was thrown a few meters. I lost my senses for a few moments, but then my wife ran and led me to the house. After that, such noise came as if rocks were falling or cannons were firing. The earth shook, and when I was on the ground, I pressed my head down, fearing rocks would smash it. When the sky opened up, hot wind raced between the houses, like from cannons, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many windows were shattered, and in the barn, a part of the iron lock snapped. That was tense testimony by S. Semenov in 1930. That was years after the explosion. More testimony. Testimony of the Chichang Shangar tribe as recorded by I. M. Sovlov in 1926. 
We had a hut by the river with my brother, Cherokin. We were sleeping. Suddenly, we both woke up at the same time. Somebody shoved us. We heard whistling and felt strong wind. Cherokin said, Can you hear all those birds flying overhead? We were both in the hut, couldn't see what was going on outside. Suddenly, I got shoved again, this time so hard I fell into the fire. I got scared. Cherokin got scared too. We started crying out for father, mother, brother, but no one answered. There was noise beyond the hut. We could hear trees falling down. Cherokin and I got out of our sleeping bags and wanted to run out, but the thunder struck. This was the first thunder. The earth began to move and rock. Wind hit our hut and knocked it over. My body was pushed down by sticks, but my head was in the clear. Then I saw a wonder. Trees were falling. The branches were on fire. It became mighty bright. How can I say this? As if there was a second sun. My eyes were hurting. I even closed them. It was like what the Russians call lightning. And immediately, there was a loud thunderclap. This was the second thunder. The morning was sunny. There was no clouds. Our sun was shining brightly as usual. And suddenly, there came a second one. Cherokin and I had some difficulty getting out from under the remains of our hut. We saw that above, but in a different place, was another flash, and loud thunder came again. This was the third thunder strike. Wind came again and knocked us off our feet, struck against fallen trees. We looked at the fallen trees, watched the treetops get snapped off, watched the fires. Suddenly, Cherokin yelled, look up, and pointed with his hand. I looked there and saw another flash, and it made another thunder, but the noise was less than before. This was the fourth strike, like normal thunder. Now, I remember well, there was also one more thunderstrike, but it was small and somewhere far away where the sun goes to sleep. That was a first-hand account, testimony by tribesmen in the area. Another account in the Sibir newspaper, July 2nd, 1908. This is the same year as the Tagunska event. On the 17th of June, around 9 a.m. in the morning, we observed an unusual natural occurrence in the north 
village, about 330 miles north of Kurnesk. The peasants saw to the northwest, rather high above the horizon, some strangely bright, impossible to look at, bluish-white heavenly body, which for 10 minutes moved downwards. This body appeared as a pipe, a cylinder. The sky was cloudless. Only a small dark cloud was observed in the general direction of the bright body. It was hot and dry. As the body neared the ground, the bright body seemed to smudge and then turned into a giant billow of black smoke and loud knocking, not thunder, was heard, as if large stones were falling or artillery was fired. All buildings shook. At the same time, the clouds began emitting flames of uncertain shapes. All villagers were stricken with panic and took to the streets. Women cried, thinking this was the end of the world. The author of these lines was meantime in the forest about four miles north of Kurinsk and heard to the northeast some kind of artillery barrage that repeated in intervals of 15 minutes at least 10 times. In Kurisk, a few buildings in the walls facing northeast, windows glass shook. Siberian Life newspaper wrote on July 27, 1908, When the meteorite fell, strong tremors in the ground were observed, and near the Lovat village of Kangsk, two strong explosions were heard, as is from large-caliber artillery. And the final eyewitness testimony from the Kranesky newspaper, July 13, 1908. Kazimesko village on the 17th, an unusual atmospheric event was observed. At 7.43, the noise akin to a strong wind was heard. Immediately afterward, a horrific thump sounded, followed by an earthquake that literally shook the buildings, as if they were hit by a large log or heavy rock. The first thump was followed by a second, and then a third. Then the interval between the first and the third thumps were accompanied by an unusual underground rattle, similar to a railway upon which dozens of trains are traveling at the same time. Afterwards, for five to six minutes, an exact lightness of artillery fire was heard, 50 to 60 salvos in short, equal intervals, which got progressively weaker. After one to two minutes, one of the barrages, six more thumps were heard, like cannon firing, but individual, loud, and accompanied by tremors. The sky at first sight appeared to be clear. There was no wind and no clouds. However, upon closer inspection to the north, where most of the thumps were heard, a kind of ashen cloud was seen 
near the horizon, which kept getting smaller and more transparent, and possibly by around 2 to 3 p.m., completely disappeared. Once again, that was an eyewitness report. There is little scientific curiosity about the impact at the time, possibly due to the isolation of the Tunguska region. If there were any early expeditions to the site, the records were likely to have been lost during the subsequent chaotic years. World War I, the Russian Revolution of 1917, and the Russian Civil War. The first recorded expedition arrived at the scene more than a decade after the event. In 1921, the Russian mineralogist Leonid Kolik, visiting the Tunska River Basin as part of a survey for the Soviet Academy of Sciences, deduced from local accounts that the explosion had been caused by a giant meteorite impact he persuaded the Soviet government to fund an expedition to the Tunguska region based on the prospect of meteoric iron that could be salvaged to aid Soviet industry. Kulik's party eventually undertook an expedition in the year 1927, six years later. Upon arrival, Kulik made arrangements with local hunters to guide his party to the impact site. Reaching the explosion site was an extremely arduous task. Upon reaching an area just south of the site, the the superstitious hunters would go no further, fearing what they called the valleymen. Kulik had to return to the nearby village and his party was delayed for several days while he sought new guides. The spectacle that confronted Kulik was he stood on a ridge overlooking the devastated area was overwhelming. To the explorer's surprise, no crater was to be found. There was instead, around ground zero, a vast zone eight kilometers or five miles across of trees scorched and devoid of branches but standing upright. Those farther away had been partly scorched and knocked down in a direction away from the center. Much later, in the 1960s, it was established that the zone of leveled forest occupied an area of some 2,100 square kilometers, its shape resembling a giant spread-eagle butterfly with a wingspan of 70 kilometers and a body length of 55 kilometers. Upon closer examination, Kulik located holes which he erroneously concluded were meteorite holes However, he did not have the means at this time to excavate the holes. During the next 10 years, 
there were three more expeditions to the area. Kulik found several dozen little pothole bogs, each some 10 to 50 meters in diameter, that he thought might be meteoric, meteoric craters. After a laborious exercise in draining one of these bogs, the so-called Suslos crater, 32 meters in diameter, he found there was an old stump on the bottom, ruling out the possibility that it was a meteoric crater. In 1938, Kulik arranged for an aerial photographic survey of the area, covering the central part of the leveled forest, some 250 square kilometers. The negatives of these aerial photographs 1,500 of them, were burned in 1975 by order of Yevne Krinov, then chairman of the Committee of Meteorites of the USR Academy of Sciences. It was done under the pretext that they were a fire hazard, but the truth may have been the active dislike by official meteorite specialists of anything associated with an unyielding enigma. However, positive imprints could be preserved for further studies in the Russian city of Tomsk. Despite the large amount of devastation, there was no crater to be seen. Expeditions sent to the area in the 1950s and 60s found microscopic silicate and magnetite spheres in sifting of the soil. Similar spheres were predicted to exist in felled trees, although they could not be detected by contemporary means. Later expeditions did identify such spheres in the resin of trees. Chemical analysis showed that the spheres contain high proportions of nickel relative to iron, which is also found in meteorites, leading to the conclusion they were of extraterrestrial origin. The concentration of the spears in different regions of soil was also found to be consistent with the expected distribution of debris from a meteorite airburst. Later studies of the spheres found unusual ratios of numerous, numerous other metals relative to the surrounding environment, which was taken as further evidence of their extraterrestrial origin. Chemical analysis of peat bogs from the area also revealed numerous anomalies considered consistent with an impact event. The isotopic signatures of stable carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen isotopes at the layer of the bogs corresponding to 1908 were found to be inconsistent with the isotopic ratios measured in the adjacent layers, and this abnormality was not found in bogs located outside the area. The region of the bogs showing these anomalous signatures also contain an unusually high proportion of iridium, 
similar to the iridium layer found in the KT boundary. These unusual proportions are believed to result from debris falling from the body that deposited in the bogs. The nitrogen is believed to have been deposited as acid rain, a suspected fallout from the explosion. The leading scientific explanation for the explosion is the airburst of a meteoroid 6 to 10 kilometers or 4 to 6 miles above the Earth's surface. Meteoroids enter Earth's atmosphere from outer space every day, usually traveling at a speed of more than 10 kilometers per second, or 6 miles per second, or 21,600 miles per hour. The heat generated by compression of air in front of the body, which is known as ram pressure, as it travels through the atmosphere, is immense and most meteoroids burn up or explode before they reach the ground. Since the second half of the 20th century, close monitoring of the Earth's atmosphere has led to the discovery that such meteoroid airbursts occur rather frequently. A stony meteoroid of about 10 meters or 30 feet in diameter can produce an explosion of about 20 kilotons, similar to that of the fat man bombed, dropped on Nagasaki, and data released by the U.S. Air Force's Defense Support Program indicate that such explosions occur high in the upper atmosphere more than once a year. Tunguska-like megaton range events are much rarer. Eugene Shoemaker estimated that such events occur about once every 300 years. The explosion's effect on trees near Ground Zero was replicated during atmospheric nuclear tests in the 1950s and 1960s. These effects are caused by the shock wave produced by large explosions. The trees directly below the explosion are stripped as the blast wave moves vertically downward, while trees further away are knocked over because the blast wave is trailing closer to the horizontal when it reaches them. Soviet experiments performed in the mid-1960s with model forests made of matches and wire stakes and small explosive charges slid downward on wires, produced butterfly-shaped blast patterns, strikingly similar to the pattern found at the Tunguska site. The experiment suggested that the object had approached an angle of roughly 30 degrees from the ground and 115 degrees from the north and had exploded in midair. The composition of the Tukunska body may no longer be a matter of dispute. In 1930, the British astronomer F.J.W. Whipple suggested that the Tukunska body was a small comet. 
a cometary meteorite, being composed primarily of ice and dust, could have been completely vaporized by the impact with the Earth's atmosphere, leaving no obvious traces. The comet hypothesis was further supported by the glowing skies, or sky glows, or bright nights, observed across Europe for several evenings after the impact, possibly explained by dust and ice that had been dispersed from the comet's tail across the upper atmosphere. The cometary hypothesis gained a general acceptance among Soviet Tunguska investigators by the 1960s. In 1978, astronomer Lubar Kreska suggested that the body was a fragment of the short-period comet Enoch, which is responsible for the Beta Turid meteor shower. The Tunguska event coincided with the peak in that shower and the approximate trajectory of the Tunguska impactor is consistent with that would have been expected from such a fragment. It is now known that bodies of this kind explode at frequent intervals tens to hundreds of kilometers above ground. Military satellites have been observing these explosions for decades. In 1983, astronomer Zednik Sekanian published a paper criticizing the comet hypothesis. He pointed out that a body composed of cometary material traveling through the atmosphere along such a shallow trajectory ought to have disintegrated, whereas the Tunguska body apparently remained intact into the lower atmosphere. He argued that the evidence pointed to a dense, rocky object, probably of asteroid origin. The hypothesis was further boosted in 2001, when Farinelli Foshi et al. released a study suggesting that the object had arrived from the direction of the asteroid belt. Proponents of the comet hypothesis have suggested that the object was an extinct comet with a stony mantle that allowed it to penetrate the atmosphere. The chief difficulty in the asteroid hypothesis is that a stony object should have produced a large crater where it struck the ground, but no such crater has been found. It has been hypothesized that the passage of the asteroid through the atmosphere caused pressure and temperatures to build up to a point where the asteroid abruptly disintegrated into a huge explosion. The destruction would have been so complete that no remnants of substantial size survived and the material scattered into the upper atmosphere during the explosion would have caused the sky glows. Models published in 1993, suggests that the stony body would have been about 60 meters across, with physical properties somewhere between an ordinary chondrite and a carbonaceous chondrite. Some scientists have proposed a process whereby a stony meteorite 
could have exhibited the behavior of a Tunguska impactor. Their models show that when the forces opposing a body's descent become greater than the cohesive force holding it together, it blows apart, releasing nearly all its energy at once. The result is no crater and damage distributed over a fairly wide radius, all of the damage being blast and thermal. Three-dimensional numerical modeling of the Tukunska impact done by scientists in 2008 support the comet hypothesis. According to this result, the comet matter dispersed in the atmosphere while the destruction of the forest was caused by a shockwave. During the 1990s, Italian researchers extracted resin from the core of the trees in the area of the impact to examine trapped particles that were present during the 1908 event. They found high levels of a material commonly found in rocky asteroids and rarely found in comets. Scientists contended that the impact was caused by a comet because of the sightings of clouds following the impact, a phenomenon caused by massive amounts of water vapor in the upper atmosphere. They compared the cloud phenomena to the exhaust plumes from the NASA Endeavour Space Shuttle. In 2010, an expedition with scientists from the Troitsk Invitation and Nuclear Research Institute used ground-penetrating radar to examine the Suslov crater at the Tukunska site. What they found was that the crater was created by the violent impact of a celestial body. The layers of the crater consisted of modern permafrost on top, older damage layers underneath, and finally, deep below, fragments of the terrestrial body were discovered. Preliminary analysis showed that it was a huge piece of ice that shattered on impact, which seems to support the theory that a comet caused the cataclysm. In June 2007, scientists from the University of Bologna identified a lake in the Tugunska region as a possible impact crater from the event. They do not dispute that the Tugunska body exploded in midair but believe that a one-meter fragment survived the explosion and struck the ground. Lake Checo is a small, bowl-shaped lake approximately eight kilometers north-northwest of the hypocenter. The hypothesis has been disputed by other impact crater specialists. A 1961 investigation 
had dismissed a modern origin of Lake Checo, saying that the presence of meters-thick silt deposits at the lake beds suggests an age of at least 5,000 years. But more recent research suggests that only a, meters, a meter or so of sediment layer on the lake bed is normal sedimentation, a depth indicating a much younger lake of about 100 years. Acoustic echo sounding on the lake floor provides support for the hypothesis that the lake was formed by the Tukunska event. The sounding revealed a conical shape for the lake bed, which is consistent with an impact crater. Magnetic readings indicate a possible meter-sized chunk of rock below the lake's deepest point that may be a fragment of the colliding body. Finally, the lake's long access points to the hypocenter of the Tukunska explosion, about seven kilometers away. Work is still being done to this day at Lake Checo to determine its origins. The conclusions of the Italian scientists were published on the website of the University of Bologna. The main points are that Checo, a small lake located in Siberia, close to the epicenter of the 1908 Tugunska explosion, might fill a crater left by the impact of a fragment of the cosmic body. Sediment cores from the lake's bottom were studied to support or reject this hypothesis. A 175 centimeter long core collected near the center of the lake consists of an upper one meter thick sequence of deposits overlaying coarser chaotic material. Lead and carbon indicates that the transition from the lower to the upper sequence occurred close to the time of the Tugunska event. Pollen analysis reveals that the remains of aquatic plants are abundant in the top post-1908 sequence, but are absent in the lower pre-1908 portion of the core. These results, including organic carbon, nitrogen, suggest that Lake Checo formed at the time of the Tugunska event. The behavior of meteorites in the Earth's atmosphere was less well understood during the early decades of the 20th century. Due to this, as well as the relevant data resulting from Soviet secrecy during the Cold War, a great many other hypotheses for the Tugunska event have sprung up, none of which are accepted 
by the majority of the scientific community. Which comet caused the Tupunska event? One study suggests that a chunk of comet 2005 NB56 caused the 5 to 10 megaton fireball bouncing off the atmosphere and back into orbit around the sun. The scientists involved in the study claim that the object that caused the event will pass close to the Earth again in the year 2045. In 1989, some scientists suggested that some of the duerium in a comet entering Earth's atmosphere may have undergone a nuclear fusion reaction, leaving a distinctive signature in the form of carbon-14. They concluded that any release of nuclear energy would have been almost negligible. Independent scientists in 1990 proposed that a comet with high concentrations of deuterium in its composition could have exploded as a natural hydrogen bomb, generating most of the energy released. The sequence would have first a mechanical or kinetic explosion, triggering a thermonuclear reaction. These proposals are inconsistent with our knowledge of the composition of comets and of the temperature and pressure conditions necessary for initiating a nuclear fusion reaction. Studies have found that the concentration of radioactive isotopes in the blast region to be inconsistent with those expected following a nuclear explosion, fusion, or otherwise. Some scientists have suggested that the event was caused by the explosion of the hydrogen-saturated part of the nucleus of the comet that struck the Earth's atmosphere, with most of the remaining comet nucleus surviving and possibly continuing to orbit the sun. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
Goodbye. From the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.